Greetings, my name is Adam Draycott and you are watching the online ministry from St Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 31st of July 2022 and our sentence of scripture comes from John's Gospel chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Amazing promises right there. Let us pray. Father of everlasting goodness, our creator and guide, be close to us and hear the prayers of all who praise you. Forgive our sins and restore us to life. Keep us safe in your love. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let's have a time of praise.
to the ministry of God's Word. Our Bible reading uh, comes from Psalm 121. That's a great uh, passage to stand up and say out loud, especially if you're in a group. Uh, encourage each other with those words. A great psalm of confidence, Psalm 121. And our other reading comes from the book of Jude. Uh, Jude verses 17 to 25 is, uh, again, good to be read out loud in church. If you're by yourself, uh, read the whole letter. It's only 25 verses long, uh, by all means. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you that we can open up our Bibles. And we pray that by your Spirit you'd be at work in our hearts. Um encouraging us, growing us in our faith in Christ Jesus, uh, such that you are glorified. Uh, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If the, if the world is oppositional, and it is, how are we to contend as Christians? It's been a big week for Christians here in, uh, on the eastern seaboard, uh, <laughs> especially if you follow the NRL. If the world is oppositional, how are we to contend as Christians? Or worse, what do we do when those among us are oppositional? How do we keep contending for the faith? Uh, meet Jude. The book of Jude is a letter. It's written to those, verse 1, called... Loved in God, kept for Jesus Christ. Beautiful language. Who is Jude? We don't know. Popular name. He might be the one referred to in Mark chapter 6 or Matthew chapter 13. But who knows? Uh, why did he write? Well, again, who knows? Actually, we can know. Uh, verse 3. Uh, best way to listen to a sermon, Bible open. Follow along verse 3. Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. That's the why of the book of Jude. Uh, when my children played soccer... Yeah, okay, I was one of those parents, you know, pass the ball, tackle, get in, run, uh, contend. No, I didn't ever say that. <laughs> but you get the picture. Jude is a letter calling us to contend. Imagine if I said that to the kids, they go, what? what did he say? Contend for the faith, fight, struggle, engage. But who wants to do that? Seriously, again, after the last week, it's just a good way to get your head knocked off, really, if you want to pop it up. 
A good way to lose friends and gain enemies. Uh, Think of all that energy uh, that you'll spend. Um, We see children at soccer. Uh, Some children get so bored, they'll sit on the halfway line and pick at the grass. Uh, Ball goes past, whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, My colleague Matt was telling me he remembers his cousins playing soccer. Uh, Problem was they weren't chasing the ball, they were chasing butterflies. Not chasing the ball, chasing butterflies. Jude doesn't want Christians picking at grass on the picking of the lawn or chasing butterflies. He doesn't want us disinterested or distracted. He wants God's people engaged to fight, to struggle, to contend. Why? Verse 4 is the answer. Certain individuals. Verse 4, certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. These guys pervert the grace of God, which is the idea that, how how might we do that? It's the idea that because God is so loving and because God is so forgiving, then anything goes. God is love, nothing matters. Just go for it, do what you like. And that is also called cheap grace. Cheap grace. And in the time of Jude, there are some clowns that are teaching that kind of nonsense, suggesting that sin doesn't matter, only love matters, holiness doesn't matter. Repentance doesn't matter. Forgiveness doesn't matter. Just do what you want to do. That's what's being taught. And it is, the mistake is, to forget that sin is expensive. Uh, It's to forget that Christ died on account of our sin. And so for the Christian, we should not run to sin like these guys are teaching. We should still run Far, far, far from it. The other problem, as verse 4 mentions, is that people are denying that Jesus Christ is our only sovereign, our King and Lord. Now, God's people have always had the problem of certain individuals. And these guys, let me be plain, they are frauds. Now, what Jude does to paint the picture is he's going to riff on the Old Testament. And some of us might go, oh, I don't like the Old Testament. Well, guess what? You can't pick and choose. We're Anglicans. And the seventh article of faith from the 39 articles says that the Old Testament is not contrary to the New. For both in the Old and the New Testament, everlasting life is offered to humanity by Christ who is the only mediator between God and humans. So there it is. And Jude would agree, and of course so does Jesus. We know that because he cited the Old Testament all the time. What are these stories? Verses 5 to 11 is full of warning from the Old Testament that basically says what was true then is still true today. There were rat bags then. There are still rat bags today. 
So Exodus and the promised land, uh, or Sodom and Gomorrah, if you know that story as well. It's famous for sexual immorality and perversion. That is true. Well, at the end of verse 7b, it tells us very briefly that these stories serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Judgment is on view. Uh, then with verses 8 to 10, we get a strange picture from the heavenly realm. Uh, I don't pretend to understand it. But the punchline is not even the heavenly realm is immune from the judgment of God. Then we come to verse 11. Real quickly, think Cain. You know the story of Cain and Abel. No self-control, full of violence, taught others to sin. That's a problem. Or Balaam. He rushed for profit, so greed is on view. No self-control there either. Ask his donkey. Uh, or Korah, the sons of Korah in Numbers 16. They're a group that were swallowed up by the earth when they took on, on Moses. And what do these characters have in common? No self-control. They did what they wanted. They acted on impulse, blocked their ears, um, or shook their fists at God, or flipped, flipped the bird at God. I won't do that. Um, they thought they could dictate terms to God. How mistaken they were. How mistaken they were. You cannot dictate terms to God. You've got the order of your relationship upside down if you think that is true. So verse 16, we'll pick it up now because we're really focusing on the back end of this wonderful letter. These people, so having talked about the Old Testament examples, in this contemporary situation that Jude writes to, he says, the guys here, they're, they're grumblers. They're fault finders, verse 16. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. Blech. Notice the extremes of flattery on one hand and fault finding on the other. They're exceptional at both. There's no middle ground for these characters. They will stroke your ego with one hand and they will paint themselves as a victim with the other because it's always somebody else's fault. And they exist. True then, still true today. You can expect this. So Jude says, keep your eyes open. No words could be truer, let me say. Keep your eyes open, fight, struggle, contend for what is true. And that's a matter of faith. But how do we do that? This is a question. How do we do that? So verse 17. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Okay, so here is the first thing we must do as we contend for the faith that's been entrusted to us. Verse 3. Uh, we are to remember what the apostles said. We're not to forget. We are to remember. Remember, not all want good things to go well for you and your church family. Sadly, that is true. There are wicked, evil people uh, around. It's true. Uh, verse 18. They said to you, this is the apostles, they said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Uh, so again, remember, uh, 
ungodly desires do not reflect the activity of God in one's life, but the opposite. Verse 19, these are the people who divide you, who follow me in natural instincts and do not have the spirit. So they want to divide you, divide and conquer. That is the devil's strategy. We cannot be naive about that. He'll find ways of driving a wedge, any way of creating a fracture in fellowship, and he'll use fraudulent people to do it. And again, remember, they are in our midst. Verse 12, they'll even partake at the Lord's table. They'll have no qualms about that. They have complete disregard at that point for what it means, which means that they're unforgiving, they're comfortable and cosy with sin, they refuse to be accountable, they're usually demanding and self-absorbed, and every time they speak, it's coloured with self-love and self-interest. They'll tell you how great they are and clever and they love having your allegiance. You know that because they love stroking your ego. But none of that is the work of the Spirit, verse 19. None of that is godly. It's ungodly and it's just plain wicked. But as history shows, one day they will be exposed, they will be condemned and they will be judged by God. And so... Jude says to believers, so remember that. Just hold that to be true and get on with it. Contend, engage, fight. What else are we to do? Here's the second thing, personal work. There's a few things to consider. So come with me. Look at verse 20. How do we build ourselves up in the most holy faith? That was a question I put at Bible study this week. And everybody said similar things. We read our Bible. We say our prayers, we read God's word with others because it's God's word. Uh, we're committed to the gathering of God's people and fellowship together, church. Uh, we're committed to the most holy faith. We remember it's about, um, faith is about trust in Jesus. It's not faith in faith. Faith is an object. And so it's about Jesus. And so we can't forget all those things um, that are about embracing him and holding fast to him. It's about Jesus and our walk with him. That's what faith is. So that's how we build ourselves up. Verse 20, there was a lot there, sorry, but there you go. Verse 20, we pray in the spirit. You go, oh, what does that mean? Oh, we've talked about this. Ephesians 6 is my go-to verse here for praying in the spirit where Ephesians 6 will tell you that the sword of the Spirit is... Answer. What's the answer? The sword of the Spirit is, do you know, the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And then Paul immediately follows with praying the Spirit on all occasions. So again, what is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. So to pray in line with the Spirit must at the very least, at the very core, at the very basic level, it cannot not mean to pray in a way that is consistent with scriptures. To pray in the Spirit is to pray in a way that is consistent with the Word of God. So let me give you an example. We've done this before, but here it is again. Uh, verse 20. I could read verse 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, 
and praying in the Holy Spirit, okay? And so I pray in light of that. Father God, help me to grow in this, the most holy faith. Help me to care more about holiness for a start. Help me not to neglect those things that build faith, like reading and trusting the Bible, like being prayerful and meeting with other believers. Father, thank you. The foundation is always Jesus. So help me to be faithful to that. Help me to be faithful to him, trusting Jesus and all that he has done as the object of my faith. Amen. There you go. Still on about personal work as we contend for the faith. Verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. See, that word keep is important. Keep yourselves in the very love of God here that you are trying to defend, that you're contending for. So don't divert, don't waver, don't backslide, don't stray from the truth of who Jesus is. Keep yourself. Be committed. Now think, okay, that word keep is um, interesting. If the Apostle John was writing about keeping ourselves in the love of God, how would he uh, phrase it? It's worth thinking about. Oh, John 15, verses 9 to 10. Hear this. So what does it mean to keep ourselves in the love of God? What would John say? John would say, did say, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is Jesus speaking. Now remain in my love. Lovely. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. There's a clue. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Joyful obedience is the way we keep ourselves in the Father's love. So again, repent. Don't be indifferent about sin. Pursue the path of joyful obedience. There you go. The last thing about this personal work. There's a bit to unpack here. But here it is. It's very easy. The last thing about this personal work is to wait. Look at verse 21 again. Uh, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Uh, This is is a beautiful thing and this is what we are to wait for. Knowing that we are already recipients of God's mercy, but knowing that there's mercy still to come. It's beautiful. Here is the personal work we do as we contend for the faith that has been entrusted to us. Now, at this point, Jude casts our eyes outward. So look at verse 22. And as we read verse 22 and 23, notice there are three categories of people. Uh, Three categories, all that involve mercy. Okay, so verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. And to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. Whatever that means. Note, mercy does not mean accommodation, where we accommodate sin. Mercy doesn't mean that we enable sin, where we create an environment that allows for sin to happen. Mercy doesn't mean we justify sin. Because all of that's what the false teachers are on. That's called cheap grace. Mercy is more than kindness. It's to meet a need. 
And here, mercy, the need they, uh, the need they have, is a spiritual need. And so the doubters, as the false teachers worm their way into God's people, some will hear the teaching and they'll go, oh, that sounds really good. And they'll begin to doubt. And they'll hear, hear stories about God's free forgiveness. And because God's, God is love and forgiveness is free, anything goes. It doesn't matter anymore. And these deeply held desires bubble up and desires for companionship or affection or success, money, work. Do you see the danger? And do you see how toxic this is? We are being encouraged by Jude to engage. Don't go chasing butterflies. We must engage with people's doubts. We must come alongside uh, people with the once-for-all handed-down faith that we have and call them back. We are not those who turn up to play but end up chasing butterflies uh, where we miss the ball. All right, now beyond doubt, here's the second category. Some stand way too close to the fire. Uh, Jude says... God's people must be quick to reach into the fire of judgment and pull people quickly out. Some will have heard this false teaching and have started to indulge their desires and they've started to what, what really constitutes an abuse of God's mercy. Again, it's cheap grace. And again, I want to say to you, Jude is saying you don't get to stand by and do nothing. Will people get burnt? Yeah. That's what happens when people play with fire. And will you get burnt? Yeah, probably. This is what happens when people play with fire. It's carnage. And it happens. And, you know, it's naive to think my sin doesn't impact others. It does. Here is an encouragement. This passage is asking us, are we prepared to put our hands into that fire and pull our brothers and sisters out in such a way that they will be saved? Or are we too worried about some superficial burns to worry about their eternal death? That's confronting, but that's how it is in the book of Jude. Thirdly, some have gone the whole hog. They've capitulated, chucked it in, swallowed the whole false teaching thing, and they've turned down, uh, turned, they've headed down that path of the false teachers. And it's as if their whole clothing is damaged by rotting flesh, because they are already on their way to death. It's like they're dead people walking. That's the imagery. Uh, how do we respond? Well, yep, fear will be a thing here. Mercy and fear. Notice, and I suspect that Jude is encouraging wariness and maybe perhaps limited association, lest we fall ourselves. He's telling us to be careful. But he also advocates mercy. And where possible, the faith must be held out to such people. Our faith. So question, can we extend such fearful mercy to these people when we meet them? Are we suitably fearful to be aware of our own temptations, our own limits? But are we also suitably merciful to proclaim to them what they need to hear. 
All right, let's wrap this up. Jude has written a punchy, punchy letter, and it's urgent. And he wants Christians to contend for the faith. Part of contending is remembering. Don't be surprised at this. This has always been a thing. There's always been snakes in the garden. There are always false teachers around. Part of contending is also a personal work. Build faith. Uh, pray in the Spirit. Uh, keep in God's love and wait. The next part of contending also is mercy to others to meet their need in crisis, to take a risk that some might be saved. But I think that it is marvellous, though, that Jude finishes on the same note where he began. As Christians who contend for the faith, the biggest thing we have, as we think about all those things, the biggest thing we have is our relationship with God. Yes, we must keep ourselves in the love of God. But verse 1, it is God who calls. It is God who loves. It is God who keeps us. Not the other way around. It is this idea now that Jude is going to finish. And it is a magnificent reminder of the big hands that hold us as we do contend, as we engage, as we struggle, as we fight. It is a timely shot across our proud bows as we sail off in the battle, proud of our own abilities, reliant on our own strength. May God forgive us if that is us. And of course it is. And it is a reminder of the deep love of God here for those who are his own. And so please join me. Look at verse 24. Don't miss this in reading the assurance of the character of God as we prepare to contend. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. i
and sisters, we've been encouraged in our reading to pray in the Spirit, which means to pray in a way that's consistent with the testimony of Scripture. And so I invite you to spend some time uh, pour over the words of verses 17 to 25. Find things to pray about. Uh, remember the commands of God, uh, where he calls us to, re to remember and to keep and to build and to pray and to wait. They're all things we need help with, but there's assurance there because it is the God, our God, who, who loves us and keeps us and does all of those other beautiful things such that we can stand before his presence with great joy. Of course, we know that's on account of Jesus. There are good things to pray about there. So I commend them to you. And again, if you're struggling, uh, Lord's Prayer, great, great prayer to be praying. Pray a line, reflect on that, and, and pray other things as they, as they enter your heart and give them to God. Uh, but again, whatever you do, don't not pray. Uh, announcements. Uh, we've got our AGM uh, for this Sunday. Please be praying about our AGM, uh, that we would fill a parish council, three wardens, six parish councillors. Other leadership positions are being nominated for and, and maybe voted on uh, the presentation board, uh, uh, which the nominators, that is, uh, synod representatives as well. Uh, we'll receive reports and this will be a church family event where we return thanks to God for his work among us in the gospel. Also, remember to be praying for our missionaries. Um, Autumn Encounter is happening soon. Uh, that's a great thing to be praying about in line with the work of CMS as well. I commend all these things to you. God bless. We're not alone, for Christ is here. Emmanuel, our God, come near. We're not alone, for to our world, Jesus has come, eternal world. And as he speaks, our souls let
increasing crowd is mounting pain, a heavy load of grief and shame, breathless that we should breathe again. Father, forgive them, comes his cry. Silence from God blackens the sky, a creeping dread in Christ is with us.